Assalamu alaikum. I'm Khalil Alika. And I'm Zahir Parker. And welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. So AccidentalMuslims.com is a, a movement, a platform where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So welcome and enjoy. Hey, Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to AccidentalMuslims.com. And this evening we have Masri Al Talib. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. And Amir, my co-host. Assalamu alaikum everyone. Who is Wasfia? Sure. So I'm currently a Quran teacher, online Quran teacher and Hif mentor. Um, I was born in Johannesburg and moved to here. So I'm from Cape Town, very proudly so, but it just so happened that I was born in Johannesburg. My family was living there at the time. Moved back to Cape Town. My younger brother was born in Cape Town, and then we moved to Malawi um, before my my youngest brother turned a year old. Um, lived there for about 10 or 12 years of my life. 12 years, actually. Or te- sorry, 10 years I moved back on my 12th birthday. My sister always says there's always something happening on my birthday. <laughs> but anyway, um, so my I grew up in, in a rural kind of more area in called Zomba in, in Malawi. It's known as the warm heart of Africa. It really is the warm heart of Africa. We moved back Cape Town on the brink of my high school career. And then I completed my high school here in Cape Town at Santusi Girls High School, which at the time, Alhamdulillah, was a good school and the level of education was was really good I got to you know um, participate in lots of extramural activities and culture on all fronts so I always was a well-rounded person I did well academically was involved in cultural activities like debating and then Muslim Students Association and then sports as well so I did swimming and hockey and so I really believed and always believed in being a well-rounded person so let's go back to Malawi how long were you in Malawi? about 10 years 15 years 10 years 15 yeah so I was two, I think I was two when I moved there, and then we moved back on my 12th birthday, so it's 10 years. Yeah. And, and, and growing up in Malawi, yeah. do you remember? I do remember growing up uh, in Malawi. Um, I think I'm very blessed to live there because I, I, you know, unlike the children here today in Cape Town, I lived a very safe and free childhood, running bare feet and climbing trees and... Um, riding bikes and um, getting to know kids from all over the world because it's around, I went to an international primary school over there. Um, so there were children from all over because um, there were expatriates there working on a dam that was that was being built there at that point in time. How would you compare the Islamic culture between uh, Cape Town and, and Malawi? In Malawi at the time, it was uh, more the Muslim community was... Um, mostly made up of Indian people. So there's a lot of uh, Indian business people over there. That was their main purpose for being in Malawi from their forefathers until now. Whereas um, I'm not Indian, I'm not part of that um, community. So I was never really part of a Muslim community there. In fact, my mother didn't want me to even go to the madrasa there because, you know, they taught in Urdu perhaps or they had their own way of doing things like hitting the children. And my mom was like, you know, she w- didn't want that for us so we had a Malawian teacher come to the house and teach us the surah and teach us how to recite so I wouldn't say we were part of a Muslim community there at all we were we were actually friends with Christian missionaries like our best friends were Christian missionaries so my father's there visiting dawah work and her father's there visiting missionary work converting people to Christianity but yet we were best friends um, I came from of a background that was quite pure in the sense that we weren't exposed to things like drugs and and 
sort of dating and things to the extent that kids here were up to so and I didn't want to like act like I didn't know what these people were talking about so I just kept quiet and kind of learned from my peers like what they were actually talking about and obviously eventually figured out like oh my word like that's what you know kids are doing um eventually just integrated into the whole you know Cape Town society and high school life um wasn't um I think I was just very average Muslim teenager growing up wasn't practicing really um you know being part of muslim students association is like oh wow like really just because you like the president of muslim students association um but really it was i i wasn't i'd i'd call myself an accidental muslim so that's why i really love the name of the platform too so you president of of the msa yes so when i was in high school um okay. i was became quite actively involved in the Muslim Students Association. Okay. And then, um, so there was a girl who was Hafila, uh, and um, so what was good about that was she had was connected to other Hafila. So she would ask them to come into school and just like speak to the girls during mm-hmm. break time because that's when we would have our meetings. Um, and then one meeting, um, she she invited Hafila Radio Bawa to come and speak to us because so um, the previous president, so when I was in grade 11, my friend was the president, the um, chairman of the chairperson of the Muslim Students Association. Um, and because she had studied under the late Yusuf Puli, she knew the other Hafila to also studied under the late Yusuf Puli, whereas there was would be no way that I would have any contact with them at all because, I mean, I'm in a different world at that point in time. Um, so then when I became president of the Muslim Students Association, I kind of continued that, you know, asked her for the context of to get the guest speakers to come in to speak to the girls and so forth. So then one of the guest speakers that did come in was Hafila Raldiabawa. And um, she, at that point, was just going to start her her own um, institute the following year. Um, and then I decided to to, to attend her institute, um, which was known as Darunari Mizuhud at the time, which is now known as Zahra Institute. So that's really um, how I uh, started or became... Um, you know, my journey to becoming a Muslim, I would say, in, in the true essence of the word, started. So you're in grade 11 or grade 12, did you have sort of this pressure of choosing a career? You know, definitely there is that pressure because everyone, you know, your school is like saying, you know, you need to do well because you need to go on to go to, you know, get into university firstly and then pursue a career that's going to earn you you know, a, a salary and you have this vision of like working in this office and testing a certain way and having a certain car and having a certain lifestyle. So I definitely had that image of all that vision for myself as well. So um, I wanted to, and I was doing well academically as well, you know. So for me, going to um, Zahra Institute was just like a, a gap year. So the thing is, because I went to school in Malawi, we start, and I did the British system there. I started grade one at the age of five years old. Whereas in Cape Town, people start school at the age of seven years old. Um, I think it, for me, it was such an advantage to start grade one at such an, a young age because then I could matriculate at a younger age. I was just about 17 years old when I matriculated. So I'm like, okay, well, if I take a year off of my life, I'm just, I'm not even going to be behind anyone else yeah. because I'll still be 18 by the time I start university, you know? Um, so that really was my thinking behind it. Um, I, I did, 
you know, so when, when people did start going to university, um, you know, there was a little bit of that, okay, everyone's in university and, and I'm not, but I knew I was going to go there anyway. And I don't think I, I wasn't, was, I'm not one to follow the crowd. And, um, and that's what I did. So initially when I started, I did keep in contact with like a few of my friends, but slowly as I, you know, transformed and went on this journey, I also, I wasn't, I stopped being friends with those friends anymore because now I'm a, I've changed. I'm a different person. I'm on my own journey and they on, on the, so out of everything that you could have done during a gap year, you decided to go to the Zahra Institute. Why? Why did you choose that? So when I was in grade 11, um, the first uh, person, the, the first person that introduced this idea of was of Darunayim was Manafadwa Solomon. So she also was a student of the lecture of Yusuf Puli, um, and then she told us about Darunayim. And some, I think it was just something she said that just maybe clicked with me. At that point in time, she says that um, the Quran is like a prescription and you're not going to get better by just reading it. You know, so with a doctor's prescription, you're not going to get better by just reading it. You actually have to go and forget the medicine, actually take the medicine and then you'll get better. So the same thing with the Quran, like you, you, you're not going to get better by just reading it. Like you actually have to know what it says. You actually have to understand it. So... I think that is what clicked with me because I don't remember much. I don't have the best of memories. But if I remembered that, then it must have been something that clicked within me and made sense to me. And I was like, yes, I'm Muslim. But like, I don't know what the Quran says. Mm. I'm going to go to university. What if people ask me about the Quran or my religion? What am I going to say to these people? Like, how am I going to answer them? And I think that was also a little bit of a push for me um, to, to study the Quran because I'm like, I don't want to be look stupid. People's asking me about my religion. I'm not able to answer them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was she kind of planted that seed in grade eleven, and then of course when matric, when matric came, and then I now invited Hafiz um, Bauer and she was starting her own institute. And her institute was simply closer to where I live than the one in Weinberg. So I was like, okay, well it's the same institute. It's a sister institute. I'll go to her one rather because it's closer to home, right? Okay. Um, but hers was really the one all chose for me because it was all female environment um she was really the role model that i needed at that point in time because remember i'm 17 years old um that's the the, the age where you are where erickson speaks of it as the stage of um you know identity versus role confusion so it's the point in your life that you know the teenage years where you're kind of figuring out who you are and where you at and you know so it was really the perfect time in my life where um, it, it molded who I was as a person and it really solidified my identity as a Muslim. How long is this course at Sahra Institute? Um, so it's just a year-long so course, yeah. but we cover the whole Qur'an from cover oh, wow. to cover. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's, it's really a phenomenal thing. And then what happened after that year? So after that year, I did go to university, okay. to UCT, and I started with a BCom degree. Um, however, I think the idea of it was different my idea of it was different to what it, how it actually was mm-hmm. and I was not happy doing that so I was like okay so then I was now looking at what else you know change in direction mm-hmm. um, because I said to myself I'm not going to sit through a four-year or three-year degree and hating what I'm doing and maybe other people do that and that's fine for them and then they end up doing something else afterwards anyway but mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that and I remember a friend commenting like oh you're wasting like you know all the money that was spent for that semester and it is a lot of money but I was like I'll rather change now then go through something that i'm not happy doing and alhamdulillah again like i had a strong enough sense of myself to be to make that decision and to not look back and to not regret that so um i don't regret leaving so i left after one semester and i started memorizing the quran 
and I completed that alhamdulillah and after that I alhamdulillah since then I've just always been on the path of um, seeking um, being a student of deen and teaching and so forth so I'm go back to that BCom. So, like, what was your expectation yeah. going yeah. into university <laughs> and, and choosing the BCom degree? In it? I just want to marry the, the so, expectation um, versus, versus sure. what you experienced. So, yeah. for me, um, I think it was the pursuit of the lifestyle that would come afterwards, or what I thought would come more would come after. It's more like, okay, you've got this certification now, so now you can get a job at mm. like a company and earn like a decent salary and work your way up the corporate ladder. I think I just saw it as the key to doing that. Um, I didn't take into consideration the fact that you actually have to, <laughs> you know, study the economics that didn't okay. make sense to me. How long did it take for you to complete the Quran? So um, about four years in total. So I started already while I was at the Royal Institute. I did it part time. And then even while I was at university as well. So like while other people were just like, you know, chilling in the cafe yeah. or whatever, I would go to the JK and just memorize. Um, and then so initially um, I wanted to, <coughs> wanted to change over to um, religious studies at, U- at UCT. Cause it, so I'd still be there and still be doing a degree, but just something different. But then, um, you know, one of our family friends said to me, she was like, you know what, if you really want to do Islamic studies, don't do it at UCT. Like, go overseas where you can just pursue authentic Islamic studies um, or sacred knowledge. So... Um, I did look at options overseas, so I looked at um, the Princess Nura University in Saudi Arabia, I looked at, um, I think it is the Darul Zahra in, in Tarim in Yemen, um, and then you know, I might have looked at another other places online, um, however, um, those doors just weren't open to me at that point in time, so their academic year was different to you know, hours and it wasn't just what I, I just the, the time wasn't there, you know. So I thought, okay, you know what, let me just pursue my hif until the end of the year, until the application's now open and I can actually apply and so forth. So the hif wasn't meant to be um, a full-time thing. It was just meant to be up until I can now go overseas and do the Islamic studies that I wanted to do. Um, however, my Quran teacher at the time, she said to me, well, you know what, if you want to actually pursue Islamic knowledge, the Quran is the source of all of that. So why don't you just finish your Quran first and then go on to do Islamic studies? So I thought about it and I was like, okay, I'll see how I feel at the end of the year. Um, so I did that um, and then I decided to to complete my health first. And then the next day I did go to... Um, uh, when I comp- the year after I completed my hif, I went to Naim in Weinberg, where I did do um, second year of the uh, Islamic Studies program. So I did um, subjects like Aqidah and Fiqh and Hadith and so forth. So talking about Quran, I'll ask you a very difficult question. <laughs> what is your one of your favorite Quranic verses or stories? I think there are a lot, but. Um, one of them is about marriage in the Quran where it's a story of Nabi Musa alayhi salam where the girl so he's now thrown out of his city and he now goes to he, he flees and then he comes across um, well he goes to Madian and then he comes across these girls at the water wall and then the girls are now waiting for the other shepherds to go by so that they can get the water and then he goes up to them and he asks them what is the you know what's going on and he helps them um and then they go back to their father and they tell him about they tell their father about nabi musa alayhi salam 
And in that time, Rabbi Musa makes this dua that, oh, Allah, I'm in need of whatever good you send down upon me. Um, and then the girl comes back and she calls him and says, my father wants to reward you for the good that you've done. And he goes um, to their house and their father tells uh, tells him that, you know, what I, I'd like to offer one of my daughters to in marriage. And he, of course, marries her and he gets the house, a place to stay. He gets employment and accommodation and, and everything. For me, that's like really one of the most beautiful stories. And also the part of it that I like the most is the fact that like the, the girl kind of did the proposing because she said to her father, you know what, um, I like this guy and I'd like, you know, you to meet him and I'd like us to propose to him. Um, whereas, and I think that's so um, different to what our society is today where it's kind of like, oh, the man he has to be the one to pursue the woman. And actually the, the only story, marriage story in the Quran is where the girl actually says. So it just really breaks our stereotypes that we have today. Are you perhaps married? I am married, very hmm. happily married, alhamdulillah. <laughs> so, um, uh, now, earlier on we were speaking about, uh, or you, you told us that you have a blog. Um, so tell us a bit about that. I do. So um, I'm very passionate <coughs> about young people getting married, mm. but also, but not just getting married. I am passionate about them getting married the right way, which is in the obedience of Allah Pandala, because I believe that it's something that is possible and that can be done. And I think what was instrumental for me is seeing other examples of that and me wanting to be an example as well to other people. So my marriage, what happened was um, my husband was had seen my um, video on YouTube of when I completed my, my memorization of the Quran. So I didn't know that and he saw in this video a mutual friend of ours and he, he had contacted her to say that um, he's, he's interested in me. And um, she told him that I'm not available and um, a while later he asked again you know about a year later or so and then so she told him like i'm not available and like a, even after that he asked again and he said okay she, she said i'm not available and he was like okay cool whatever like he life went on he thought like okay it's just not meant to be and then my friend asks me at the wedding this is in the middle of 2017 she's like okay so like when are you getting married and i say oh no alhamdulillah like i'm not getting married anymore so she's like oh so why don't you tell me like this guy's been asking about you so she tells me she tells me this guy's name and i go look him up on facebook I'm like is this the guy she's like yes it's the guy and i'm just like um yeah that's what my husband doesn't like about the story but i was not interested <laughs> <laughs> so, I to go back to, so why was your friend saying you're not available? So I was at the time oh, already okay. um, considering some, okay, in, okay. somebody else I wasn't <clears throat> filming in that district, but she she of course didn't bother telling me you know about this guy because I you know wouldn't it, yes. yeah there wouldn't have been a point in that. But now that she knew that I'm like single, she's like okay tell, she tells me this guy and I'm like and I tell her I'm not interested, but then I tell her you know what. Um, Use my email address and here's my brother's email address as well. So you can be seized in the emails as my mahram or the third person. Um, and we'll, you know, because I said you, you never know. But I was so convinced that like this was not going to work out. Mm -hmm. But I really believe in you never know. So I always tell people like, you know, meet people, even if you think it's not going to work out because you just never know. So he emails me and then my brother reads the email before I do. So we're out at um, my, my father's birthday one evening, um, mid-July. 2017 and then my brother says oh this guy has emailed and um, he's interested in atmosphere he decides not to tell the whole family <laughs> before <laughs> I even read the email yeah 
they we're now talking about this guy and i'm like yeah no i just not i don't think i'm really like interested but we'll see whatever and then so i come home of course very excited to just like sit and just like read the email and whatever and as soon as i read the email the way he started the email it was like this most beautiful salawat upon the prophet mm-hmm. and just like so the way he presented himself and i just like knew in that moment i was like okay like wow like i'm blown away like really um just because he had a sense of like who he is and what he's doing and why he's in Egypt and I was like okay cool like I know who I am and where I'm going um, and why I'm doing what I'm doing so my vision is in line with your vision so this could work out and so we email back and forth and then like I said quite quickly I knew like okay this is it um, and then of course we had to wait until a few months later for him to actually come down for us to now meet in person and then we met alhamdulillah in November, end of November 2017 um, and then we got engaged and got married two months later. Wow, beautiful yeah. story. So we started a blog before <laughs> we got married um, just sharing like yeah. our experience of like um, yeah he was a lot more keen to share to do the blog posts <laughs> before we got married you know and after we got married he kind of was li- became a bit lazy about it and I was like okay if you're not going to post I'm not going to post either. <laughs> But anyway, so we posted about just like our feelings and our experiences and like questions to ask and, and those kind of stuff on, on the blog. Yeah. Success. What does success mean to you? <coughs> You've been so on this journey now. Yeah. Tell us about success. Sure. Um, success to me really is being content with, with all this degree. Well, what are you currently doing? So I'm currently a Quran, online Quran teacher and have mentor. So um, okay. because I, of course, Alhamdulillah, have completed mem- the memorization mm-hmm. of Quran, I do teach people from scratch or wherever they are in the memorization journey. I, so I have students um, all over, mostly in um, some in South Africa, in the UK, Canada, okay. the, and US. Um, and then the have mentoring is. Um, kind of, so I did a, I did a um, life coaching course last year and then I decided to um, just focus on HIF coaching so that oh, it's more HIF mentoring than coaching simply because I've not been through the journey mm. and the pitfalls and yeah. those kind of stuff. So the idea is to help other females who are on their Quran journey as well um, when they need assistance with whether it's their time management or just the breaking up of the back lessons or, mm. you know, whatever it is that they're facing that I can maybe help with. Yeah. Online huge teacher. What, what, what does it mean to be an online teacher? So I don't teach people in person. So when mm. I was in Cape Town, I had students who come to the house um, and I, I didn't go to students' houses. Um, one of uh, Imam Nawawi says that um, it is not, um, well, he says that it is not appropriate for the, the, the teacher of knowledge to go to the student, but rather the student should go to the teacher. Um, so that's why I just put from home. Mm. Um, but uh, so now, obviously, because that's not an option if people's living on the other side of the mm-hmm. world, it's, it's we live in a virtual world, alhamdulillah, yeah. and I'm, I'm grateful to be, mm-hmm. to live in a time that we live in a virtual world. So um, it's a, it's cool to video call some, or they okay. video call me. So even, video yeah, so, so then I make the students call me, so in the sense that, so even though they can't come to me, they yeah. they, they should be the one to like call me. Mm-hmm. So at a certain time, they know, okay, they need to call me, and then they'll phone, and we will video call, and then do they listen. And, oh, wow. Yeah. 
It's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like online life coaching that so you get nowadays. WhatsApp online as well. Counseling. Yes. So I use either WhatsApp call or IMO call or Skype call, depending mm. on whichever works best. Okay. So where did this idea come about? Okay. So, um, I was, I had done an online Quran memorization course and in this course there was another student from Joburg and then the facilitator asked me, she asked me if I could take her on because she actually joined the memorization course because she thought it was like actual teaching but it wasn't, the course was more about, um, you know, methods and kind of mindset and that kind of stuff and she was like, oh, she actually joined it. She must have, she probably didn't read what it was about. She just saw, okay, you know, um, on like Quran memorization course, she's going to do this. And then, so the facilitated me, she asked, you know, can you take on the student? She's in South Africa and you mm. in South Africa. So, you know, so then I, so I took her on. So she was in, Johann- she's still in Johannesburg and I was in Cape Town. So we just do it over the phone, over the landline. So we initially did it over Skype. So video call initially, but then I think we were having some challenges with the internet. So then we went over the landline and that's like super clear, still clear because, mm. <laughs> you know, the landline, but we both in the same country. Um, and then, so we, and then when I moved to Cairo, we continued still. And then I just put it out there that, you know, to get other students as well. So if we go to Cairo and Egypt, I don't want to miss this. Um, this back, back on marriage, do you have any tips for like single brothers and sisters that are watching and going to listen yeah. to the podcast, listening to the podcast? Yeah. Um, in terms of finding the potential spouse, do, do you have any advice? I, I always say to young people who would like to get married that you have to be involved in your community. So whether that be your MSA, whether that be um, community service in whatever way, shape or form, um, not for the intention to get married, but rather sincerely for the sake <laughs> of wanting to, to help out. And why I say that is because you know, how are other people going to see you and recommend you to other people if they don't know who you are? So, um, yeah, I always thought I'd get married through the MSA because I was, like, so actively involved in, like, you know, MSA and that kind of thing. So that's one one aspect, I would say. But, but before that, I think that your intention should be to get married in the obedience of Allah because what happens is that Shaitan will beautify your relationship before you get married. And then as soon as you get married, Shaitan flees away and now you're sitting with issues and problems and, and all of that. So the intention from the beginning must be, um, I want to get married in the obedience of Allah and have Allah's blessings and guide that. Um, so of course, um, from your side, apart from making the arts, being involved in, in the communities, telling your friends as well and your family members, because often there's also another way where people recommend where they say, oh, they know this person, you know, and or through mutual friends or through mutual family. Um, so that's another way it's important to be to not be shy about and be like, yes, I am getting married. So I mean, so I'd like to get married. So like for myself as well, like long before I got married, I would always. I had this um, album on Facebook called Dear Future Husband. Uh-huh. And um, yes, and I'd always yeah. post on there. And yeah, so I wasn't shy to like about the fact that I wanted to get married. And like, you know, when I come across quotes about marriage and stuff, like mm-hmm. I'd post it on there. And I didn't realize the power in that. It was only last year when I did my life coaching course, the the, the um, coach facilitator actually told me, you know, like he'd obviously come across it. And he was like, you know, there's so much power in your story. And I was like, oh, wow. Like I didn't even realize. Like for me, it was just posting on Facebook. Like I didn't even realize, you know, that was me putting it out there, not being shy about the fact that I'd want to get married. It's nothing to be shy or embarrassed about. Like I wanted to get married for a long time, you know. So um, I think I think that's the thing. Don't be shy to be to say that 
you want to get married. It's a, it's a, it's a respectful thing. It's not something bad or something to be shy or embarrassed about. Mm-hmm. And then also it's knowing what you want um, in, a, in a partner. Um, there are two ends of the spectrum, so don't be overly specific or overly picky and on the other end of the spectrum also don't be too like oh anybody's good enough you know you kind of do need to have a good sense of who you are and what it is that you are looking for um and then from that space um be open to meeting people even if like i said even if they don't seem to be your type um meet them anyway because you just never know so you're married now almost two years right? so what has been your most important lesson thus far she doesn't have to answer my husband is like smiling at me <laughs> Um, I think, yeah, well, so my advice to, to young ladies is to not want to be this perfect wife and, you know, especially if in the beginning. So like oftentimes women at the beginning say just want to be this like perfect miss wife, you know, I'm a new wife here, I want to like be all this, you know. So they want to like, you know, cook and clean and do all the things and, and then eventually they can't keep up with that, you know. So for me, it was from the beginning already, I was like, I'm not going to be a perfect missus and I'm never going to be. So I was just very much myself from day one. And so because of that, there was never an expectation of, oh, you used to do that and now you're not doing that anymore. So I think that's an important lesson that I'd love to share. It doesn't make me a bad wife mm-hmm. at all. It just makes me human. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, well, I hope <laughs> my husband appreciates that important lessons that I've learned was we're very honest also with each other about absolutely everything um, so he'll be honest with me about how the food is regardless of mm-hmm. how that's going to make me feel and I'm honest with him about other things honesty is yes I think I, I don't know why people maybe some couples aren't honest with each other about certain things or want to hide things or just want to cover up things like I don't believe in that I think we just even if it's going to hurt feelings we're honest with each other to be patient I'm sure uh, I guess I guess um, I think I think I've been more of a test to my husband than what he's been for me uh, in all honesty um, so he's been super patient with me and super understanding and and so I came from a household where my mom was like, you know, wanting to be that perfect wife and subservient and never complained, never said anything wrong ever about the husband or anything like that. And then, so that's why I think I kind of initially, like, still, I think I went to the other extreme where I was like, I'm not going to do that, you know. So it's, and then it's now for me understanding that, you know what, my husband is somebody that um, I don't have to I don't have to do all of those things for um, and he doesn't expect that of me so it's okay for me to be you know um, super um, nice and kind and do good things and kind of go the extra mile and, and things like that. So you lived in Malawi and then you lived in South Africa now you're staying in Egypt. Oh yeah. Tell us about that. Tell us about that experience staying in so Cairo. when my husband told me, well, at the time uh, in the email that he is in Cairo, and of course I knew from day one that, like, you know, I'd have to move there. And the options really were, were um, we'd either stay there for a year or we'd have to stay there for five years. So it was like the whole nine yards. There's no in between because um, my husband will be starting at the, the university. And I mean, you can't, it's pointless coming home with like half a degree. So, um, 
when I went there, Alhamdulillah, I did. I was happy there. I'm still happy there, Alhamdulillah. So we are going to be staying another four years. It's very different. Um, it's not for everyone. I always say Cairo is not for everyone. It's a very hustle and bustle city. It's, it's quite dirty. It's very polluted. You'll hear all the bad stuff about it. Everyone will say that. It's extremely hot. Um, however, um, access to knowledge is is really easy and really affordable. So it's really about what you're there for, um, you renew your intention of why you're there, um, and you really get you get what, what you go there for. Tell us, um, do you have any mentors? Um, so I did. So Khalil Alec is looking away over here, but yes, he was mine <laughs> at one point in time. Um, and I had a life coach that I was with in 2017, the year that I got married at the end, you know, off, just after that. The, I don't have a personal like one-on-one mentor at the moment, but there are definitely people that I look to. Um, for example, you know, Happy Roldo Bauer, looking at just... Um, just her as a person having i think i feel like having been in her class really was like a mean mentorship in a sense mm-hmm. um and then of course my father solomon who's not, has her Qamar institute so just maybe they don't one-on-one mentor me but just the example and the kind of what they what they're doing and of course other people other amazing inspirational women that i find online mm-hmm. um you know that are doing their work um that i aspire to do i i see as mentors so we're going to do something fun, but also fast. It's called the lightning mm. round. Mm. Okay. So I'm really covered it. Yeah. So how this works is I start you off with like two words and then you say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. So Allah is? Love. Love is? Allah. <laughs> the world needs? Healing. Happiness is? Um, contentment. Success is? Um... Contentment with Allah's degree. Mm-hmm. Being a Muslim to you means? Everything. Leadership is? Being a role model. Being yeah. a role model is? Being a means of guidance. Uh-huh. Now, everybody has a, has a purpose in life. What, what do you think, besides obviously the, the macro purpose that all Muslims have? Do you, do you have sort of a purpose? Oh, sure. So I think uh, Allah SWT um, set out a vision for all of us uh, in the Quran and that is that um, a day will come where wealth, neither wealth nor children will benefit except one who returns to Allah with a sound heart. So I believe that the vision is to return, to strive to return to Allah with a sound heart. And then Allah also says in the Quran that, and I've not created jinn and mankind except to worship me. So that's like your overarching vision and mission statement, like right there, you know. Um, to worship him right and then obviously that worship will take uh, various forms because we all have our own skills talents and abilities so I think that I believe that it's our responsibility to find out what are our own particular individual skills talents and abilities and how can we use them to um, fulfill our purpose on this earth and to in order to fulfill our ultimate purpose of worshiping him I think one of the things that we probably underplayed throughout this interview is discipline. How are you able to stay so disciplined and focused? You know, I'd be lying if I said I am the most super self-disciplined mm-hmm. person in the world. Mm-hmm. I struggle and I think that we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, Allah has placed certain mechanisms or tools or structures in our life. For example, like Salah, you know, at every, uh, you know, they need to be done in a certain time frame, for mm-hmm. example. So, like, just in that is a tool for for self-discipline 
Um, so how am I able to to stay disciplined? I think that it's a constant struggle and it really is just um, renewal of intention and striving as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. And what are you most grateful for in life? Um, I'm most grateful for my husband. Alhamdulillah. Not because it's okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. I think um, I have to be grateful for my parents as well because Alhamdulillah they've, they've let me do whatever it is that I wanted to do in my life. And at the one point I was angry. Angry because I was like, well, you know, I, I, feel, I felt like they didn't actually kind of guide me to the point that I am now. Like I feel like I was this accidental Muslim that kind of you know alhamdulillah Allah, Allah sent me that guidance however you know if they hadn't let me do whatever I wanted to do I probably wouldn't have gone there because I have friends and I know people who their parents actually stopped them from doing Islamic mm-hmm. studies um, you know so alhamdulillah they let me do that and, and through that was just you know my, I just blossomed as the person and my life flourished from them so I, incredibly I have to be grateful to them for um, what they've provided me for and people that they are and, and who they who they molded me in, into through through them letting me, me be who I am and of course especially to my mother for her guidance and her love. Okay, yeah, that's it. Um Shukran so much. It's wonderful to see you grow from where you were. Alhamdulillah <laughs> and you also adding value now to other people's lives and Allah bless you and your family and yeah, all the best. I mean, I just cannot do. We have time for one short little yeah. thing as yeah, well. Sure. So, um, last weekend, um, I was invited to go to Port Elizabeth and I shared my workshops over there. So, on Friday night, I did Hispiration, which is um, for people to inspire people to memorize the Quran. So, in that part of South Africa, it's not like Cape Town where it's norm for females to memorize. They're kind of still getting there. And then on the Saturday, I did my the journey workshop and. Um, I shared that when I came to you, Khalil, a few years ago and you asked me, you know, what is it that you'd like to, to do? And I said, I'd like to be a motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm standing here today as a motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'd mm-hmm. said to you mm-hmm. a few years back. And this is, man- you know, this is really the manifestation of it. And this is living proof of how important it is to have a vision and a mission. It was an amazing experience because it was my first time being flown to another city and being accommodated and you know and I've got my itinerary on myself I told my husband like oh my god like I have an itinerary it was just the most exciting thing ever and I you know Khalil doesn't even remember me doesn't remember that he mentored me but that really is the impact of having a mentor and having a vision for yourself I know very depressing that today's the last day and you only have like 30 seconds to give us your best advice tell us my best advice would really be to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to ask his forgiveness for whatever has gone by and to make the intention to, to live, to dedicate yourself to Allah. Not all of us had parents who dedicated us to the service of him, but that doesn't mean we can't dedicate ourselves to his service. So that's it for today's show. We hope we added value. We hope you enjoyed it. But most of all, we hope our guests inspired you to live with purpose. Don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com If you know anybody out there that is inspiring, that's leading, that's living with purpose, please uh, do contact us. And remember, feedback is our oxygen. So follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed. God bless.
Yeah. 